Welcome to the Widow's Walk with Dr. Connie Mariano. If you've experienced the loss of someone close to you, Dr. Connie and her guests will share guidance, love, and support to help keep you moving. Now, here is Dr. Connie. Welcome to the first show of the Widow's Walk. I am Dr. Connie Mariano. I am your host on the very first show that we're hosting at Voice America Network for this show that I asked them for me to produce, and it's called The Widow's Walk, and I'll explain what that means. And you're probably wondering, aren't you the Dr. Connie who's the host of House Calls on Voice America? And I am. I was into my eighth season of House Calls, and I continue that. But this is a new show that I am sponsoring, and there's a reason for it, and I'm going to share with you with that in a second. So for those of you who are hearing my voice for the first time, the question is, who are you? And that's, that's a good question a lot of us ask, right? Who am I? So if you Google me, Dr. Connie Mariano on Wikipedia, you will find that, here's my resume. I am the first Filipino American in U.S. history to become a Navy Rear Admiral. I'm a former White House physician under President George Herp- Herbert Walker Bush, President Bill Clinton, and W. Bush. Uh, served 24 years active duty U.S. Navy, board certified internal medicine, founder and owner of the Medical Concierge Practice Center for Executive Medicine, Scottsdale, Arizona, Mayo Clinic for three and a half years, and I do books. Uh, in fact, my first book uh, entitled The White House Doctor, My Patients for Presidents, was published 12 years ago, has been optioned twice, and recently to A&E Studios to do a TV series, still waiting for that. And I love doing podcasts on Voice America. But that's only resume. So when you go back to who am I, that's an identity issue. So who am I? Well, I am a mother of two wonderful sons. I am a grandmother of three and a half babies out there. Uh, My oldest son has three children and his wife have three children. And my youngest son and his wife are expecting their little boy in June. I am a divorcee. Uh, My first husband and I divorced after 29 years of marriage. I am a good friend to my girlfriends, my gal pal. Uh, I'm a mentor to various people. I'm a really good friend, goes back to that. But among the titles I have that are very personal and deep is the title of widow. And I have been a widow now for three and a half years. That followed after a very happy, joyful relationship of 11 years to John Weber, who made me his widow July 1st, 2019. So this show is about my identity as a widow. And I'm not alone because I look out there and I I do the research. And in 2019, when John died suddenly on a mountaintop in Nephi, Utah, I joined the 1 million widows in America that year. There are 1 million new widows in our country. There are about 11.8 million widows. That's a lot of widows. That's a lot of tears. That's a lot of sorrow. And that's a lot of opportunity for growth. So before I continue my widow's walk, and I'll explain where the name came from and the purpose, I'd like to begin every podcast on widow's widow's walk to honor the memory of those for whom we're going to present for this show. So this show I dedicate in memory of our loved ones. And I think of 
in memory of, number one, my husband, John Weber, who passed on July 1st, 2019. We're, we're honoring the memory of Lonnie Whittington, who was the late husband of Dr. Reverend Michelle Whittington, who is our guest in studio. Lonnie transitioned on May 23rd, 2020. But other people in my life uh, are also suffering the loss of loved ones. Uh, there is John Clifford, who passed on February 27, 2020. John celebrated today, would have been John's 30th birthday. He is celebrating in heaven with the angels. But he left behind his widow, Camille, a young widow, and their two little children. In addition to a widow, Camille, he left behind his beloved father, uh, Craig Clifford, and his mother, Georgiana, and his brothers, and so many friends in the wake of his death. So, John, your memory lives strong here, and we honor your memory and your life. Also, John's cousin, Esther, lost her husband, Joshua, in 2022. He left her in a tragic accident, and it's a long story, but we have young widows who, who are grieving and angry and suffering, and my hope for this show is we will touch them and help them and heal. For my friend Otto Gorsuch, who is in Louisiana, Otto, this show is dedicated to Dottie, your beloved wife, who passed a year ago Valentine's Day, and also to my friend Kathy Humphreys, who lost her beloved husband Roy, one week ago, the day before Valentine's Day, Kathy became a sudden widow. So in honor of the memory, we dedicate this show. So where did the Widow's Walk come from? As I was trying to figure out the name of this show, I thought, I think of a walk, and I think of New England, and I was Navy, and in the days of the seafaring captains, there is on top of these homes facing the sea, the cupola. There is a, like on the rooftop, it's like a, a railing, and they call that a widow's walk. It's an architectural term. It's a raised platform on top of a roof with a railing. And it was used traditionally for the wives of sailors or whalers during the late 1800s. They would look out to sea for the ships coming back to port. But eventually, a lot of these ships did not return to port. The lookouts then became known as the widow's walk because the widows would go up there before they knew they were widows and realize that ship never came home. And, and I think of that. And figuratively and metaphorically, the journey of a widow is not a sprint. It is a walk. First of all, you're slammed down harder than anything you've ever experienced in your life. It will be the hardest thing you'll ever go through. And when you get up from being knocked down, it is not a run. It is not a marathon. Hopefully it's not a marathon. It is a walk. It's a slow, painful walk. You can't delegate anybody to walk for you in that journey. You can't pay someone to do it for you. You got to walk it yourself. So the purpose of this show is to walk with widows on their journey of grief, of mourning, of letting go, and of recovering. And in a lot of ways of your rebirth, how are you reborn when you're slammed down so hard that you would rather die? Well, you can't die yet. It's not your time, right? So I look at widows, and I sort of have names that I, I classify my widows. I was suddenly widowed. I didn't know my husband would die at the age of 63. He was healthy. We'd been planned to be together for the next 30 to 40 years. We wanted to grow old together, right? 
wasn't wasn't in my cards. wasn't planned to be. I was suddenly widow. Died suddenly, not expected. There are many of you out there who are widows in waiting, and there are widowers in waiting. But there are widows in waiting, and your husband is slowly dying before you. He has cancer, had heart disease, had congestive heart failure like Lonnie Whittington did. He has dementia, and he's doing the slow goodbye. And every day you grieve, but he's physically here. He's dying slowly. And of course, if you use a little humor in this, because I like to do fiction humor, there's a category I've observed among my friends and patients. There are women who are very unhappy in their marriages, and they wish they were widows. And I call them my wannabe widows, and I say, sweetie, not time yet. He's still alive, and you really ought to get some marital counseling. And if that doesn't work, you got to move on for the marriage. Don't wait for him to die. That's a bad sign that you want your husband to die to terminate it. So don't wait for that. So who can we help in this show? And I look at statistics again. One million new widows in America each year. 11.8 million widows. I also recommend this show for widowers, even though it's dedicated to widows. This, a lot of this does apply to widowers or anybody who's lost a partner, a loved one, maybe a son, anybody who is grieving over the loss of life of a loved one. This show might have something for you. Just listen in, and that's really the hope. But there, as there are 11.8 million widows, there are 3 million widowers. Now why? You know, men, men die sooner, right? If John were here, he said, well, men die first because they can. So among the widowers... There, I look at that, and I look at the widows, and you look at everybody out there who's married. So statistics are 75% of the married women in our country will be widows, right? 75 of you out there, 75% of you who are listening in, if you're married, eventually one of you will go, and you'll be the one left behind. So we go back to Widow's Walk. And I, I think of all the titles of widows. It's not a walk. It's, it's not a waltz. Is it a dance? I, there's a song, The Merry Widow Waltz. I have to figure out where that came from. How do you waltz? Why would you be happy? Then they have gay widows, you know, happy widows. Who's happy? Nobody's happy. So we talk about that journey we do. And so the purpose of this show is to bring on guests and to share with you somebody who can walk that journey to guide you, to show you how we got through it. Somebody once told me, you never get through it. You just get stronger. And I really believe that three and a half years out, you just get stronger. You still cry. I still cry every couple of days. I'll hear a song or see a number or see a picture of him, something about him, and I'll cry. And you, you'll never cry more than you ever have in your entire life. So what is widowhood about? As a physician, I look at that. And I boil it down to this. What's the essence of widowhood? It's going from we to me, right? We as a couple, we as a unit, we as a married couple, we as a couple, we versus me. And that's so hard because I will go do the things I did after John and I were together when he passed and I'll buy a house or buy a car and I'll go, we live here. And I'm thinking, no, I live here. I live here. So you go through an identity crisis, not only a physical, emotional, spiritual, metaphysical crisis, you go through an identity crisis. You're a widow. You've got the black clothes. You've got a certain way people expect you to behave. You know, all these things, you know, that's, you, know, you lose half your friends. And one of the things they told me, lose half your friends. Is that interesting? 
because the ones who were attached to him don't want to be with you. Maybe it's too painful. Or people stay away because they think, if I mention him, you'll start crying. Well, we cry anyway. You know, one of the things we'll talk about is if you have a friend who's been widowed, what do you, what do you say? One of my widow friends said the thing that bothered her when people would say, well, you know, he's in a better place. And she's like, no, he's not. He'd be better if he were with me. What brought me comfort was when John's old friends would say, you know, we knew how much you made him happy. We knew how much he loved you. We knew how you changed his life in a good way, that your love counted and you made a difference in his life. And that would bring me comfort. So really, it's going from we to me. And so the question I have for you widows is, who's me? And me is really scary. For those of you who married young in your life, all you've known is yourself as somebody's wife, right? Somebody's partner. You don't really remember what, you, what was me about because me was created with him. So that's the hardest part. So I'll share briefly my story of widowhood because I... I I honor John's memory and I ask every widow, widows want to share that. It doesn't hurt them to recount it because they're going to cry anyway. So one of the things I talk about, I'm actually writing a a memoir, which hopefully I'll get done as I write this. And I'm going to entitle this book, The Turnaround from White House Doctor to Widow. And I always begin with a saying, which I think is important. The book that I'm writing, I never planned to write it. It's about a club I never hoped to join, but here I am. I'm going to share my story about, about how I became a sudden widow. And I look back at how that happened, and I realized my husband died doing what he loved to do. And every year, my husband loved soaring. He was a glider pilot by passion. He was a professional CEO, Harvard graduate, turnaround guy in business, big corporate guy. When we married, and then he retired shortly that or after, and he pursued his passion of soaring. He loved gliding. He lived to glide. That was his true passion. The only competition I had in his love was for his glider. At least I knew who the mistress was. It was a glider. And it was that July, he was doing his competition in the national sailplane competition in Nephi, Utah, where we'd go every year, and I would be his crew. I would help him. I was his buddy. I would take care of that. I was on the ground crew. I did not want to go up in the air. And on that day, I was supposed to fly back to Arizona to see patients, but I hung around to help crew for him. But I also knew that two days before his death, he came in first in that contest. And I videotaped his speech when he won it, because I knew I had to tape it. There was something that said, you need to tape it. So the day he died, that morning, he was first to launch because he knew he was going to take me to the airport. They had to fly back to Arizona. And traditionally, I helped them into the glider. Uh, I helped make sure he was strapped in with his parachute. He had his oxygen. And our typical ritual is before I close the canopy of the glider is I put my hand on his shoulder. I would look him in the eye, and I would say these words, come back home safe to me. And he would smile, and he would kiss me on the lips, and he would say, I will. And so I did that. Traditionally, we would say those words. And then I closed the canopy, and I would step away and stand along the tarmac. And the sailplane, the tow plane would come in. They'd hook up the rope, and the kids would 
you know, be side by side, the, the, the kids helping out at the airport. And they would tow the plane down the runway. And typically, as I was standing to the side watching the activity, John would turn, wave to me and blow a kiss, and then they'd launch. But this time he didn't. He looked straight ahead. He looked straight ahead. I thought, that's strange. He's very focused. So I would go to the Jeep, because I had to go do some errands and cut back about six hours later to help him out of his glider. But it was very odd that day. As I was, I was driving away on the, on the, uh, from the airstrip, I looked over at the trailers from the gliders, and these long trailers where they would fold up the gliders, and they had a little tail on them with the tail number. And the image that struck to me, I don't know why, but it was maybe a premonition. They look like tombstones. I thought, that's odd. They look like tombstones. So I went and did what I needed to do, my errands, and I came back five or six hours later because I would be dutifully waiting on the tarmac for him to land so I can help him out of his plane and then put it away, and then he can take me to the airport. So I came back. I went over to the contest director to see where the... um, transducer would show where he was up in the mountains. And they said, that's strange. He's been up in the mountains for about, oh, about three or four hours on one spot, eight miles away. And I said, maybe his transponder's broken. So I sat in the, sat in the Jeep, listened to the message traffic. I listened to the radio. I listened faithfully for his tail number, five Mike Mike. That was his tail number. All his planes ended in five MM Mike Mike. So, but he didn't come back. He didn't come back. As I was sitting there watching all the gliders come in, he didn't come home. I was doing the widow's walk. Rather than be on the top of the building looking out to sea, waiting for my guy to come back from sea, I was on the tarmac looking for the sailplane to fly in. Never came back. So I finally asked the contest director. I was told him I was concerned. He said, that's not like him. So he says, let me find out what's going on. And I, I thought, this is not a good sign. And then it was even worse when he said, I got hold of the sheriff. Come back with me to the, uh, the, the office here at the airport. So I went back to the office at the airport. And we got into a little room. And he's on the telephone with the sheriff. And he said, you know, well, let's see what they found. And he looks at me, the contest director, Bruno Vasel is his name. And he's talking. He says, I got the sheriff on the phone, Connie. And, and every widow remembers how she was told. See, I'm a doctor. I've told people, I've told widows many times how their spouses have died. And I I look at it, it's almost ironic. My career has been that of a widow maker. I walk into the rooms to tell family they've lost their loved ones. We've lost them to heart attack, to tumors, to sudden death. But this time, I was the recipient. So Bruno's talking to the sheriff. And he looks at me, and he's talking to the sheriff, And then Bruno starts to cry. And I know this is not good. And he looks at me and he says, Connie, the sheriff tells me we have found John's plane. And it is at the crash site. And they find two bodies. And there are no survivors. And those two words, no survivors, made me his widow. And then what did I do? It's shock and disbelief and autopilot. And I said, Bruno, I have people to call. So I went into the next room and I started calling family and friends. I was on autopilot. So every widow remembers the moment, the time, the day, the place, 
and how it was told that is embedded in your memory of how you became a widow. It's like when you take your marriage vows, right? When you say, I do. My I do became, that was the beginning of my marriage was I do, and it ended with no survivors. But knowing John, he would say, you will not only survive, sweetheart, you will thrive and you will kick ass. So with that memory, I begin this show. So I think of that, and I think of him. And I think in a lot of ways, why would I do a show like this? I paid this to do the show. I, I don't get paid to do this, guys. I do this because it's healing for those who have suffered. And I say my philosophy is if I'm suffering, if it's my pain, I hope it has meaning and I hope it helps somebody out there. And so I use the words, may my pain be somebody's gain. May my words and what my friends and my guests say on this show help each and every one of you is suffering the loss of somebody. And may that death bring life in a good way to you. Because I will show you through my examples that they never leave you. They're always with you. After three and a half years, John is always with me. I will be with him one day when it is my time is over. But until then, I have work to do. We all have work to do. And our loved ones never leave us. So instead, they send us angels. Why well, have my friend, Reverend Michelle Whittington, who's an angel here in the studio. So we're going to take a little break. We'll be back on the Widow's Walk. And the angel who will speak to you will be my friend, Reverend Michelle Whittington. So stay tuned on the Widow's Walk on Voice America. The White House doctor makes house calls. Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Dr. Connie Mariano is a groundbreaker. She was the White House physician to three presidents, toured the world on Air Force One, and has had countless amazing experiences. The one thing that life didn't prepare her for was becoming a widow. After losing her beloved husband, John, in a tragic accident, Dr. Connie joined the one million women who are widowed in the United States each year. While her journey as a widow has been one of intense grief and sorrow, it has also been one of extraordinary growth and rebirth. Now, Dr. Connie is sharing what she's learned, joined by her knowledgeable guests to help anyone struggling with this deeply personal and often lonely journey of their own. Tune into The Widow's Walk, Thursdays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Welcome to The Widow's Walk with Dr. Connie Mariano. If you've experienced the loss of someone close to you, Dr. Connie and her guests will share guidance, love, and support to help keep you moving. Now, here is Dr. Connie. Welcome back to our first show on The Widow's Walk. I am blessed to have in studio my dear friend and fellow widow, Reverend Michelle Whittington. I actually met Michelle through a mutual friend, Nia. 
and I call it our the insanity of our vanity. I'm a big proponent of eyelash extensions. Hey, I'm Scottsdale, right? So every three to four weeks, I go for a complete lash, eyelash extension fill, right? We have to tell our beauty trade secrets. And Nia is talking to me about another widow that you really need to meet and, and read the, the memoir of Michelle Whittington. And I said, who's she? And I looked her up. We got met and got to be friends a few years ago. And I let me share a little bit about her bio. She's an amazing woman, a tremendous spirit, who is a widow. So Reverend Dr. Michelle Whittington's vision for her life is to travel her ever-ascending spiritual journey and to serve others with love, compassion, and humor as they travel theirs. With that vision in mind, Michelle became an ordained religious science minister in 1998 and was a senior minister for Creative Living Fellowship, a religious science church community, for almost 22 years. She is a licensed art of feminine presence master teacher, and a certified real love coach. Amen. We need more of them. In addition, she has authored two books, the first of which is From Our Hearts to Yours, Stories and Lessons on Conscious Loving, Conscious Dying, and Conscious Living. And I've read her book. It is a deeply personal and touching account of her and her husband Lonnie's love story that lasted almost three decades. It chronicles their journey before, through, and after his terminal illness when he transitioned on May 23rd, 2018. Her second book is a co-creation with others and is entitled Heroine Tales So No Woman Has to Slay Her Dragons Alone. Good for you. It contains moving, poignant, and meaningful stories of women who become the heroines of their own stories, right? Nobody's looking to rescue you, babe, neither me. So she's an author, she's a contributor, she's a thought leader. She's a, a, a very amazing spiritual soul, and she is a widow. So welcome, my friend, on our show, the perfect person to help me kick this off. Thank you, Connie. I am so honored to kick this off with you. I think a lot of women and other people listening can benefit from your story. Do you mind sharing your story of Lonnie and not at all. what happened after? Not at all. Not at all. Uh, you'll just have to, you know, cut me off when the time when the time <laughs> when the time comes. So um, Lonnie and I met in 1989 and were married in 1991 and truly had a fairy book relationship. It was amazing. People would tease us and say, yeah, you can't really get along as well as you get along in public. And the fact is we did. It was just, it was beautiful. He was my soulmate, my best friend, um, my collaborator, my partner. When I became a minister, he just was 100% behind me. He eventually became a minister himself of our church. So we, we were peas in a pod. We would take these amazing vacations all over the world. And when we would come home, people would ask, someone would say to him, so Lonnie, what was your favorite part of that vacation? And he would always give the same answer which was spending 24-7 with Michelle. <laughs> it's a wonderful love. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I would say the same thing about yeah. him. In um, 2012, he started not feeling well. And he was having trouble sleeping. And it, it, we tried, a, went to a, a variety of of places we thought you know he might have acid reflux because he it, it, we just tried a lot of things and no one could quite figure out what was happening for him and then um 
a friend actually said, because years before that he had had a, um, uh, an angiogram, an angiogram. Pr- didn't have a heart attack. We, we caught that in time and he had an angiogram. But a friend said, you know, Lonnie, I know you've tried a lot of different avenues to figure out what's happening. I'm concerned it might be your heart. So why don't you get yourself to a cardiologist? And that's what we did. And we found that he had uh, a valve that was not functioning at all. And um, the angiogram had failed and he needed a bypass. So we got him into surgery in December of 2012. And that surgery wound up being actually two valves replaced, three bypasses, and uh, the cleaning up, if that's not the, Dr. Connie will not like that term. That's not the proper term, but whatever the term is of an aortic aneurysm. aneurysm. Yeah, repair. They say a repair. repair. There yeah. we go. So a they repair. can charge you more if they say that. Okay. Well, they, they did. Believe me, they did. <laughs> <laughs> and that hospital bill is a whole nother story and a miracle story we'll share for some other time. Yeah. Um, so he came out of that surgery you know, that's a hellacious surgery. It's, it's just it's just awful. And the recovery time is awful. Uh, but we did it. You know, I was by his side. I took time off work. Um, I, I loved being his nurse. He was a lovely patient. Uh, not all that lovely, actually, but I loved him in the middle of him yeah. being not such a lovely patient because it was difficult. But he started feeling better and doing rehab and um, et cetera, et cetera. But by the time 2013 ended, he was starting to have the same symptoms that he had prior to that massive surgery. And he also, by the way, had a pacemaker put in at the time of that surgery. And so we went back, um, an episode took us back to the hospital, and we were told basically that everything had been done that could possibly be done for him. His heart was just so damaged from the valves not working properly and all the challenges, and that the only thing that would serve him now would be a heart transplant. Mm. And his answer to that was absolutely not. I will not go through a surgery like this again. I will not have heart. How, how old was he? He was 67. Yeah, he was young. 67. Yeah. Maybe even a little younger than that. Actually, yes, he was younger than that. More like 65. Um, I wanted him to have a new heart, of course, because I wanted to spend, like you, planning to you know go into very old age with our beloveds. I had wanted that with him. And I talked to him about it, and he was so clear that he would not do that, and I honored him. It was his choice. It was his body. I loved him enough to say, Mm -hmm. yes, you get to make your own decisions, even if I don't like it. And so that's what he did. Um, He lived four years beyond that. Now, most of those four years, he did quite well. He did actually really well. Doctors would say, we can't believe that you are the guy that's on this chart, because your ejection fraction of your heart was so low. Strength of the pump was weak. It was 15%. Oh, gosh. So you know, Dr. Connie, that that was not not so good. good. Yeah. But he functioned really well. I mean, we didn't take exotic vacations anymore. We didn't go scuba diving anymore. He didn't fly. He was a pilot. He didn't do that anymore. But we lived a great life. And then, and then, Mm -hmm. he started not feeling well Mm -hmm. again. And... We checked a few things, and yeah, his, his heart was just not functioning as well as it had. And one day, it was a Friday, I will, as you were talking about, you'll never forget the key moments. Well, here's a key moment I will never forget. It was a Friday afternoon, and he said, I'm going to take Lily, the dog, for a walk. 
okay, see you in 20 minutes. He was back at about two minutes, mm. and he said, I can't make it past the end of our driveway. I'm like, oh, okay. So we called his doctor, and the doctor said, there's nothing that we I can, can do. do. Yeah. Nothing we can do. And so Lonnie made me promise that I would not call 911, that I would not put him back in a hospital. He didn't want to be back in hospital. He said, we have to let whatever happens happen. And again, I loved him enough to say, you got it. You knew he was going to die, didn't you? Oh, we knew. We knew. We just didn't know when. You were a widow in waiting. I was definitely a widow in waiting. And that waiting was... Well, it was really a widow in waiting for four years. Yeah. So you grieved during that time? For four years, yes. It's a long grieve. Yeah. It was a long grieve. And then the last, he lasted a month after that day when he came home uh, from the aborted walk. Uh, so we had a month. I took time off. He progressively got worse. Weaker, uh, we would call them cardiac episodes. Mm-hmm. I don't know what was happening in there, but something that <laughs> didn't make him feel very good. Um, and it was a difficult month and it was also a profoundly beautiful month and a loving month. And we, pardon me, a few tears here as it's okay. Dr. Connie said before, there are always tears. It's been almost five years and there are still tears. Yeah. There will always be tears. Um, but he, um, he even said, I didn't think we could get any closer than we were, Michelle, but this month has gotten that. We've gotten even closer. Yeah. We talked about everything, yeah. what he wanted, you know, what he didn't want, how I would live after. He told me once that he said, I, I know this is selfish, but I'm glad I'm the one going first because I, <laughs> I wouldn't want to be left. And I'm so sorry that I'm leaving you. Yeah. Uh, and it was 8 o'clock on, I don't know what day of the week it was, but it was May 23rd. That uh, we had had friends over all day. He would he was mostly out of it that day. So I had friends coming and people coming to say goodbye. One friend was left. She was in the kitchen cleaning up, and he was in in, in his bed in our bed. And our little dog Curly was curled up next to him, and I was on the other side of him. And I was thinking, I know you want to go. I was talking to him. I was thinking, I said, I know you want to go, babe. I know you want to go. I know you're ready, but you're not going. Mm-hmm. Maybe I've not let you go. Yeah. I've told you I will. I We've talked about it. I said, I will let you go when it's time. But maybe I haven't. So I did a quick prayer, Dr. Connie. I did a quick prayer of just letting him go. Yeah. You give him permission I, to go. I did. Okay. And, and I gave myself permission to let him go. Yeah. And it wasn't two minutes, probably not even a minute, that he took a deep, rattled breath, Mm -hmm. and he opened his eyes, Mm -hmm. and he looked straight at me. Mm -hmm. And then he took another breath, and he was gone. Yeah, you you released him. I did. So that's Michelle the widow. What did Michelle the minister think? (laughs) Well... Michelle, the minister, actually went through a dark night of the soul mm-hmm. for about a year after his passing. Mm-hmm. Um, I was angry at God. I mm-hmm. was angry at, because we did everything and he did everything spiritually right. I put that in quotes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, we had prayer for him. He, he prayed for himself. We put him in healing circles. He did releasing work. I mean, I could give a long list of all the things. You're that mad at God? He did. I was mad at God. I yeah. was mad at the idea that 
we are creative beings and we create our experiences. Well, if that's the case, he should still be here, right? So Mm -hmm. I had to go through a dark night of my soul. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I left my pulpit. Mm -hmm. I left my pulpit six months after he passed because I couldn't do it without him and I couldn't do it being in the dark night place that I was. Um, And I had to just grieve and be in that place for about a year. And I was reading a novel that turned my life around. What was it? The novel is uh, it's called Ship of Brides by Jojo Moyes. It's, I love this author. She's a British author. always writes about strong female characters. And the line in the book said, those who think they still have all the answers have not yet asked the question. And I, it, that hit me with, well, here I am. I think, you know, I'm, I didn't think I had all the answers, but I'm a minister. I, I think I have a few answers. Mm-hmm. And yet I'm facing a question that mm-hmm. I've never faced in my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like you were saying before, you have to- given the information to many, many people that their beloved has passed. But then you were on the receiving end of that. Yeah. This is yep. the first time I asked the question for myself. Yeah. And so that sent me on a journey to heal my relationship with God and come back to a spiritual center that I, that I gratefully have done. Um, and now I'm living a whole different life. It's remarkable, but it doesn't happen overnight. No. You know, that sudden hit, the sudden loss, we, we're both widows, but I'm suddenly widowed. So my last vision of him was flying off healthy. I never held a body, never saw his body. He came home in a casket the American flag. You held your husband. You saw him die before you. They're both painful. They're different ways of how this happens. They transition. Yes. But they did it the soul's way. If you have to really, I, I don't know how people can survive this without believing that there is an afterlife. I don't know what widowhood is like for atheists. Maybe for agnostics, we can, we can help them. But I think you know, we look at faith. What gets me through is faith and believing there is an afterlife and that he, the soul never dies. But then we as humans, you talk about your human self. And I think anger comes up a lot. I have young widows who are very mad, young widows whose husbands die and leave them with their little kids. Oh, and gosh. it's just not right, right, right? I've done everything right. You took him away from me. Every time I see a happy couple, damn it, it makes me mad. Because I'll never be old with them. The yes. anger comes through. And then they start, you know, shutting down. And so I said, you know, you have to get through the anger. You get through it. And what would your loved one want you to do? Like, so what helped you get through that? The last four, you know, you're a year ahead. Yeah, you're a few months ahead of me. But yeah. what yeah. got you through? It, you know, we've got about another nine minutes to yeah. share. But yeah. what did you learn? What, how can listeners get through this? Yeah, well, the biggest thing I think I will say is that please, please don't stuff your feelings. I have a, a friend right now whose partner 50 years passed recently, and I don't think she shed a tear yet. Oh, dear. I know. Um, Feel the feelings, the anger, the sadness, the despair, the despondency, whatever the feeling is, please, please feel it. I did that. And I did that from the very beginning. And I still do. Yeah. When, when it comes up, I just let myself feel it. I, I've canceled many a plans because I couldn't go see someone. Mm-hmm. 
because I was I was just in too much pain. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I've I've had friends who would say to me after the fact, well, why didn't you call me? Why didn't you reach out when you were in that despair? I said, no, because if I had reached out to you, you would have made me feel better. Mm-hmm. And I needed I needed to be in that place. So first thing is feel your feelings. Don't just delay them because they'll come back and bite you in the fanny if you yeah. if you don't feel them. Yeah. Um, and then also you know, create your, your support group, not a support group, but your, your circle of, of tight friends. When Lonnie passed, I had one friend at the house. When he passed, she said, okay, what do you need? What do you need? And I said, I need my women around me. And she said, who do you want? And we, between her and I, we called probably 10 women. And within a half an hour, every single one of them was there. You had and, your support group. And they sat in a circle with me yeah. as, as hospice came to yeah. take Lonnie away. Um, so that support group from the very beginning, so critical, so critical. And then I guess the last thing is I will say is that one of my neighbors um, said shortly after he passed, I was out walking the dog because now it was my job to walk Lily. <laughs> he wasn't here anymore. Um, she said, you know, Michelle, I, I'm a widow and I lost my husband years ago and I realized that it was an opportunity for me to reinvent myself. And that really made me angry at the time. I didn't want to hear that because I liked my life. I liked my life with him. I didn't want it to change. Yeah. Don't tell me I'm going to reinvent myself. Mm-hmm. But now five years later, you did. she was 100% correct. Yeah. Yeah. I have reinvented myself. Yeah. I have created a life that I did not expect, but that I absolutely love. So be open to reinvention. It's true. You are a different person today. You are a different woman. We are all different in having gone through that walk because you are, it's really rebirth. Yes. They've moved agreed. up. They've never left. You, but you have to walk the walk. Nobody can do it for you. The anger, the grief, the loss. You know, for me, after losing John, guess what happened? Pandemic. Ugh. So, but I think the quote, the gift of the pandemic was it forced me to be alone. Because I, I was at my previous house before I sold it, and I kept waiting for him to come home. Well, he's yeah. not coming home. So I changed where I live. And a lot of times they say, well, don't make any drastic changes. Well, listen, I couldn't live in the same house anymore because I kept waiting for him to come home, waiting the widow's walk. So I changed where I live. But then pandemic hit, and it made me stay home. I couldn't get distracted because that was how you avoid that feeling. Well, I'm just busy, you know, and I can just shut it down and just keep doing. No, it's going to catch up with you. Yes. You're going to have to realize you are alone. He's never coming back in this life. Yes. And then really just accepting that and then, and saying, well, now what? And I've had Dave Rico on one of my other shows before on House Calls. And he talks about letting go. And, and it isn't, it isn't, you know, what he says, he talks about five true things and losing people. And isn't, you don't turn around and say, well, what about me? No, you say, what's next? And he says, you grieve to let go and you let go to move on Mm -hmm. and you move on to become who you're meant to be. So it is a rebirth. It's a metamorphosis that we become different people. But then I, my hope is that widows who, who are helped by this are becoming better, becoming stronger, but also take the gifts of your loved one that were the best parts of them and make them part of you. Yes. That whenever I catch myself say something or do something that reminds me of him, I said, sweetheart, I'm going to honor you by thinking the way you do. It's funny. I actually have his reading glasses 
and I use them at work. And I and I sort of see life through his reading glasses. I love that. You know, sometimes you'll wear his T-shirt or things to remind you. But I, I say, yes. you know, I'm going to look through work through your reading glasses today, and I'll do that. But we've got about three minutes left. Any final messages? This I told you this time goes by it fast. It went by so fast. Yeah. I have so much more I could say. I know. Uh, we'll uh, have you come back. On okay, the good. We'll do a part two or part three. Uh, I, you know, I would just say my heart is with anyone who is listening to this who has lost a loved one, you know, specifically right now, uh, a beloved husband or partner. Um, you will be all right. Yeah. You will be all right. You may not think it sometimes. Yeah. There are times you won't think you will be but I know that you will be. And that's from a widow. And that's from two widows. We both believe that that in the darkest of times, there were times, Michelle, I really believe that I was ready to die. If I had died of COVID or whatever, I was like, great, perfect. The kids are set. I'm set. I'm ready to go. You want me to go? I'll go. But it wasn't time because I have work to do. Right. And and I can imagine John saying, being mad at me if he ever met me at the pearly gates saying, are you nuts? What are you, it's not your time. Go, go back there. So... For those widows who are listening, we're here to offer you comfort and hope. You're not alone. You're going through the darkest times, but there is light at the end of the tunnel. But you don't have to do it alone. And your friends get you through it, and your loved ones get you through it by sending you angels. So my hope with the Widow's Walk, with our monthly podcast, is the message that comes to us touch you in some way to bring you hope and joy. So Michelle, my special angel, thanks for being on the show today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. And to all my fellow widows and all those who grieve and mourn, I guess it's the price we pay for having loved somebody so deeply. So don't let that love go away. Just channel it into loving yourself and moving forward in life. But you'll never let go of that loved one. They're always with you. But have somebody help you do that walk. Don't walk alone in this journey. So thanks for listening to our first show on The Widow's Walk. And we look forward to you to walking with us again next month. Take care and God bless. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of The Widow's Walk with Dr. Connie Mariano. We hope you've gained some peace and maybe even a glimmer of hope as you continue to move forward in your life. Until we talk again, have a beautiful day.